This episode is brought to you in part by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Experience the joy and freedom that comes from a faith that perseveres. Check out Unshakable Moxie, growing a resilient faith at unshakablemoxie.com from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Visit unshakablemoxie.com. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Well, welcome to March. (laughs) Welcome to March, friend. I am so glad because I've been reading your guys' responses about this podcast series on mentorship. I'm super passionate about this topic. I'm the type of person where if I like something, I will tell everyone. (laughs) I will tell everyone I know about what I found. And that's why I wanted to bring you this podcast series. And it means so much to me how much it's resonated with you and that you're implementing these things into your real life. Mentoring has truly changed my life. I'm telling you, it's the secret sauce. It is the secret sauce that all of us should be intentional about pursuing. And today's conversation is going to be no different. We're going to get some brass tacks on today's conversation. So I'm like, how to, how do I do this? How do I put this in my life? How do I find a mentor? But I just want to say, give me a second. Let me give you some professor statistics about mentorship. If you are not convinced yet, As to why you need a mentor, we're halfway through this podcast series. I'm going to convince you right now. The vast majority, 97% of individuals with a mentor say they find the experience to be a valuable one. 97% of people with a mentor say it's been so valuable. Employees who are mentored are promoted five times more often than those who are not mentored. A study in the Journal of General Internal Medicine found gender doesn't affect satisfaction levels when it comes to mentorship, which I think is interesting. And I also want to tell you, nine out of 10 employees with a mentor say they are happy with their job. I always say to people, I think there's a message to us in church. If nine out of 10 people are happy with their jobs because they're mentored, If we aren't happy in our churches, there may be a way that we can start solving that. We could be really intentional with our young people about mentorship. I can't stress enough how honored I am to bring you these conversations. And today's no different. I also do want you to engage some peer mentorship right now. So pause this episode and send this to a friend. It's called peer mentorship. Joe Saxton's going to talk to you about that today. Talk about what you learned in this conversation. Tell them what challenged you 
And if you like this episode, also feel free to rate it, rate it on your podcast app or leave us a review. We love getting your feedback, but sending this to someone and talking about it is pure mentorship. It's important. Okay. Are you ready for hashtag blessed, where we talk about an aspect affecting all of us with social media and decide whether it's a hashtag blessed or hashtag mess. I am so excited about our hashtag blessed conversation we get to have today. It was such a viral Jesus moment because I found Meryl on Twitter. Of course I did in the streets of Twitter. And I said, wait, you have to come on the show. Will you please talk to us? Dr. Meryl Herr is the director of research and resources at Fuller Seminary's Max Dupree Center for Leadership. She earned her MDiv and PhD at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and resides in Watkinsville, Georgia with her husband and two sons. So I was on Twitter and I was talking about this podcast that we're doing right now on mentorship. And Meryl commented that she had been doing a lot of research around what it means to be a healthy Christian leader and how mentorship plays into that. Meryl, in your research, have you found anything about how our online relationships can either be a bless or does it make a mess of things? Because I can see both sides, right? When it comes to Christian leadership and discipleship, what do you think? Yeah, so it's really fascinating. So I'm going to zoom out a little bit first and talk about the research that we've been doing at the Dupree Center. So we've actually done five different studies um, in my time at the Dupree Center, which is less than two years. Mm. And two of them focus specifically on mentoring, but mentoring has come up as a major theme in all five studies. So um, we did two studies, like I said, on mentoring. I'll talk about those in just a second. We've also done work around what it means to be a healthy Christian marketplace leader today. We did a focus group study. We are just wrapping up analysis for an exemplar study there. Mentoring has come up a lot. And we also did a listening study and mentoring came up a lot there. So we're hearing the buzz mm. that mentoring is necessary um, as a way of learning and leading across industries and seasons of life. You, you just really need it to grow. So when we think about our mentoring research specifically, the first thing we did is we did an exemplar study and we talked to 19 different mm. exemplary mentors um, and they were all age 55 and over. And we just said, tell us about your mentoring experience. And from that study, we were able to come up with a definition for mentoring. And this is just our short definition. We unpack it and some other resources online, but it's an intentional relationship mm. in which one person comes alongside another yes. for the purpose of helping them flourish. And we really look to the story where Jesus is walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus as um, really a great picture of what this coming alongside looks like. Um, but, but then we took the findings from that first study and we used them to create a survey to understand what were the mentoring experiences of Christian marketplace leaders ages 18 to 49. Now, we didn't get a huge sample. We got 244 participants, which means okay. we can't really generalize it to the population as a whole. But we did learn some interesting things from that. So we learned okay. that about a third of those participants um, were currently in a mentoring relationship at the time of the study. A third were seeking a mentor and a third didn't have a mentor and weren't looking for one. But we also asked them, how are you meeting with your mentor? And this mm. was really interesting. 59% were meeting in person. 26% were meeting virtually like over Zoom. 
and 15% were meeting by phone. Right. And I was like, that's really interesting, you know, given we were, when we did this research, we were just emerging from COVID. Um, but we went a step further and we asked them, what's your level of satisfaction with your mentoring relationship? And overwhelmingly, they were really satisfied. But then we said, what could improve about your mentoring relationship? And there were some interesting themes. We did an open response there. And so we looked for themes among their responses. And what we learned is that several of those who were meeting with their mentors, either virtually or on the phone, wanted more proximity. They wanted that life on life connection. Right. And so I found that really fascinating. You know, some mentoring relationships had to go online in COVID. It was the only safe way to meet. Um, but then there were those, I remember one person said, you know, I live in Minnesota and my mentor is in California and boy, would it be great if we could actually spend some time in person together. And so I'm going to say it's a, a little bit of a, a mix yeah. that, you know, there's some really good things about that online mentoring space, but I think mentees are craving more life on life connection than the digital space can give us. And you know what I loved is that you said the definition of mentorship is coming alongside each other with the intention of helping the other person flourish. It just kind of sounds like Christianity to me right? Like every Christian should be doing this and prioritizing it. Something else you said, because we had Christine Kane on last week and what she said kind of fits with what you just said. She still flies every six months and spends three days with her mentor in person. I love it. So I'm sure they connect Mm -hmm. virtually in between then, but she does make the time to be intentional and be face-to-face. Meryl, I am so grateful. Thank you so much for spending time with us. What do you guys think? How do you think being online affects the mentorship relationship? Is it a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess? You decide. If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blast on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. Okay, get your pen and paper. Get ready. We are going to go to the woman and legend herself, Joe Saxton. I absolutely adore Joe Saxton. I love her heart for ministry and for women and specifically to mentorship. She is just truly phenomenal. And she is going to say something in today's conversation that I think may push you out of your comfort zone. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I want you to listen and see if you catch what it is. What am I talking about as you listen to this conversation? I think Joe's going to say something that's going to push you out of your comfort zone. So take a note of it when you hear it, and then I'll make sure to include it at the end, and we'll see if we notice the same thing. But Joe Saxon is one of the podcast hosts for Lead Stories. She is also a leadership coach and the author of several books, including Ready to Rise and More Than Enchanting. She leads a leadership coaching community, which is a digital coaching program helping women develop their leadership skills and connect with other leaders around the world. Hey, Joining her program would be a great thing for you to do after listening to this conversation. So I won't make you wait any longer. Without further ado, here is Joe Saxton. 
So I like to always start these interviews by doing a little social media digging. (laughs) And so I've done some digging on you, Joe. I want to share with everybody a quote that you have listed on your Instagram. It says this, your voice makes a difference in the trenches to the timid in the trauma and the triumph. Your voice in all its fullness is powerful and brimming with potential. You don't need to apologize for it or be afraid of it, but you do need to discover it or recover it and learn how it in all its beauty and purpose. Tell me, how do we first know our own voice? I'm sure that that's a question you get a lot. How do you tell people to even discover or recover what their own voice is? Yeah, you know, I, I would say that's the question I'm asked most often, to be honest, particularly by for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever in a coaching environment, if I say if there was one thing you wanted, it would be something like, I want to find my voice. I've lost my voice. I don't understand my voice. It, it always revolves around that. One of the things I do to help someone kind of recover their voice, because it's more often that it's kind of mm. clearing the rubble. Do you know what okay. I mean? It's more often that we're clearing the rubble out of the way and making some room. Wait, I, wait, talk to me about that. How have you discovered that in conversation with people that it's not that we don't know our voice, it's that we've lost it. I think that's a key point. Yeah. I mean, I'm one who likes to ask questions. Um, I think questions draw something out of a person and draw out maybe things that we weren't even aware we were feeling. So I like to ask a couple of questions. When that comes up, I ask them this question. I say, who were you before anyone told you who you were supposed to be Mm. because that actually invites us to uncover our voice you see our voice the word voice is related to um the word that in the latin vox vocare vocation so it's like your gifts your voice is your gifts and passions and talents in action in operation like Mm. all that god's putting you kind of at work in the world as it were and so i often say who were you before you were told what you should be What are the oughts and the shoulds that have kind of shrunk you a little bit, that you're a little bit afraid of, that you've kind of edited to be more acceptable, to be more appropriate, to be more liked, to be loved? Mm. And there's often a story of, of experiences, both real and sometimes perceived but real enough (laughs) that have impacted us. So that's the first question. And then I say, okay, let's say there were no barriers. What would you want to say? And let's say you could do it and you weren't afraid. What would you want to do? That's not always an easy question to answer because if you're so used to not having a voice, it's like you Mm. spend the first five minutes clearing your throat because you're afraid of how it's going to sound. So then I like to get us to look back. I often get people to look back on the past and say, okay, let's look at your heroes. What are the things we've seen you care about again and again and again? You'll probably find your voice there. What are the things that either got you really excited or where you felt the injustice of it? What did you see in your story? And the people who know you and love you, what would they say about you? You might get some signposts there to what your voice is like. Once somebody starts doing that work, that Mm -hmm. inner work of figuring out who they always perhaps were. Yeah. What now? What's the first step once I say, okay, I think I have an idea of what my giftings are. How do I start implementing them? I think that's a brilliant question because the next thing you want to do is say, are you in an environment 
and in relationships whereby your oh. gifts can be cultivated. Mm. Because I want to encourage people to see it more like getting a bike for the first time rather than a gift that you think has got to be perfect. Do you know what I mean? Your gifts are not perfume. It's more like a bike. Perfume, you just spray it. You get it, you open it, you go. That's not what we're talking about here. It's more like riding a bike where, and you're like, uh, I've always wanted this. I actually don't know how to ride it. I actually need a, <laughs> you know, I've always wanted this. I've been asking for a bike all my life. I don't know how to ride it. I don't know where to ride it. You need to be in a space where you're not going to crash into the Christmas tree to be able to ride the thing. You need to be in a space where someone is saying, do it that way. Watch for that. Be careful for that. And you will become a, a competent cyclist. Yeah. But you need to be guided, encouraged, picked up when you fall. I think sometimes, though, with our gifts, we treat it like perfume rather than riding a bike. We expect it to be fully formed straight away. I am sure that this is something you hear often. I know I hear it often, unfortunately, from women who say, I don't have that. I don't have the community. Yeah. I don't have yeah. the people who are pouring into me who tell me how to put my foot this way. And do So what's the first step in trying to figure out how do I get myself in an environment where I can learn how to ride the bike? Yeah. So I would encourage anybody in that position to do an audit of their environment. Say, are there people I can talk to? Like, would my friends listen to me? Would my family members listen to me? Is there someone I can brainstorm with? I'd start with the immediate free environment first, if you can. If it's in the context of a, a, your church and your faith community, is that a place where you can talk it through with anybody? And you begin to get pretty clear indicators whether they will be people who will encourage you and say, go for it. I'm not uh, quite sure how, but go for it. And you need that too. You need the people who are just kind of cheering you on. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, what's the thing I want to do or I feel called to do or I feel like nudged or curious, even curious about who's already doing it? Who's doing either, maybe they're a few steps further along, or maybe it's more fully orbed. How can I connect with those? And then you begin to start looking at investments. Now, that investment might be listening to a podcast mm -hmm, around it. Mm -hmm. That I'm, I'm a big fan of free before we right, start paying for things. Right. Do you know what I mean? I really am because I'm not saying you shouldn't pay. I'm not saying you shouldn't invest, but you know, life is hard. So right, right. I'm, a big fan of, I'm, I'm a big fan of free. So, and I would say, are there podcasts around your topic and or your area that you're interested in? Can you get books from the library or is there a book you can buy? And so you're doing it incrementally for, to get some information, but you do need an environment whereby to practice. What does practice look like for you? Mm. And are there spaces? So, I mean, in my context, I was very resistant to the idea of being a speaker, always was when I was a kid hated the idea of it. Just the idea of being in front of people, talking in front of people was anathema to me, just terrifying. But I, I look back and realize some of the things that helped mm. cultivate me, one was doing theater at school because it gave me skills. So I often say to someone, join an improv class, mm. do a theater class. If that's the area, if that's the thing for you, then I would encourage you to do something which helps you feel at home in your body in some way. And then I remember talking to a youth pastor. And again, this was a very specific area when I was thinking about speaking. And, and it was like, well, how can you help me do what I feel I'm supposed to be doing? Again, once you're in conversation with someone, mm -hmm. you only know so much. And particularly when you're starting out in something, <laughs> you only know so much. So maybe somebody else has some ideas for you that'll help you right. develop those skills. And so much of my early development were in very small environments, 
very safe environments where I could road test things and the kind of people around me who Mm. would listen. And sometimes it takes a while to find those. I don't want to make it sound like it's formulaic. There have been other chapters of my life which have taken a lot of prayer and fasting and weeping and kind of ranting at God saying, look, if you're calling me to this, I don't know how to get here. I'm going to need you to give me some help here. I think in this era as well, I would encourage us to think through when we're thinking of environments, the environment of your friendship group. Are there peers? Um, Sometimes we kind of create someone who doesn't exist in our minds, like this kind of mythical mentor unicorn figure who who, who will sweep in, like pick you like you're on American Idol or something. And not only here's what you do, and then you can come and do it with me so I can launch you into what you want to do. And so we go from wanting a mentor to a sponsor and there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting that. It's just understanding how that that journey, and it is a journey, is cultivated along the way. Okay. I have so many questions. Well, actually, first, take us back. Take us back for your experience. How did you reclaim your own voice? And how did you have this? How did you decide or walk into this calling that you at first said you felt like you were rejecting a bit? I would say my 20s was a journey of picking it up and throwing it down and picking it up and throwing it down and picking it up. So it was it was multiple things. Okay. And, and it's interesting, and by way of illustration, I physically lost my voice a couple of years ago. And I remember talking to my speech therapist and she said, you know, people don't lose their voice. Mm. When they lose their voice, it's because it's actually damaged. And I'm like, this is going to be a really good talk someday. So I'm just going to take notes. Oh. And, and I said, what damages your voice? And she says, well, if you misuse it or trauma. And I'm just like, wow. okay, this is a really good talk. And it has been a picture for me of the whole journey. So I think for me, the things that helped me pick up my voice, like I said, was environments. I had a youth pastor who was very much, yeah, I could see you speaking. When I'm preaching, you do the Bible reading. Mm. I didn't have to think of anything. I just had to, I hated it. Yes. I hated it. I cannot tell you how much I shook. I was physically sick yes. for months, for months to the point where I'm like, God, seriously, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to fix the body because I can't be anyway. We we don't need details, friends. I don't need to, not your right, imagination, right. but we don't need it. We don't need it um, at all. And then there was some reading and some learning. I think the times which helped me own my voice was I couldn't ignore the fact that when I used it, it was effective in some small uh, way. And so the affirmation and, and not just the affirmation of others, but the encouragement of others, when other people see things in you and they they celebrate it rather than just tolerate it. I think that that uh-huh. helps. Like my youth pastor at the time, and then I went to college and I was at a Bible college, they gave me opportunities. And they, were, they weren't like, here, the world is open to you. Because sometimes that can actually be disempowering to have too much too soon. They gave me specific time-bound opportunities. Yes. And the feedback loop was tight. So it meant that they were like, okay, you want to try mm. this this way or try. And they didn't try and fit me into a mold. I think sometimes the mentoring process can be like carbon copy. And that's not really going to work for anybody. Do you know what I mean? You, we're not looking for cookie cutter leaders in any way. We're, we're trying to see what God has placed in you and cultivating that. And so the best experiences I had were leaders who invested in me and mm. not what they wanted me to be. And how did you find them? Or did they come to you? Did God just bring them? Or did it come with a conversation of you saying, I am needing direction. Are you willing to spend time with me? What did that look like for you? 
Um, I think it was a combination. I mean, I think God was very gracious. I've asked my mentors over the years. I said, how did this happen? They said, you actually didn't really give us a choice. You just kept on asking questions. And I remember when I went to Bible college for a point in my 20s, I was still wrestling out my faith, to be honest with you. It wasn't because I feel called to speak. It's just like, I don't know about this God thing. So here's my last chance Mm. kind of thing. And there was a woman there, black woman there who was on staff. And I just... Uh I, I was like, I have questions and I need to talk to somebody who I, I've got a hint might understand some of the questions I have. So every time I see you, I'm just going to ask you questions. And so it was easier and frankly, more convenient for her to meet up with me for coffee because otherwise it's like, hi, mm. question of the day. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> all the time, all the time. Um, so that was one. I think that when I, in my twenties, right, when I was right. in college, I remember talking to a number of the leaders. And again, I just had questions and I would prepare my questions for people because sometimes you've got one minute. Don't make it a long-winded question, friends. No one needs to know the whole story. They don't need to know your feelings in the story. Just ask the question, get what you want. (laughs) So if the question is, how did you start doing this? I say, hey, what three things would you say helped you? Yeah. Like make it tight. Don't do the, oh, I'm really nervous. I'm sorry Uh for your time. We don't need that. Get, get, Mm. and I don't mean that in a harsh way. I'm just saying I like results. (laughs) And if you're going to have to summon up the courage to ask a question, you want results. So I made them specific. And then I'm not sure many of them did Mm. offer, actually. I think it was just happening by then. (laughs) I think it was just (laughs) happening because I was asking the kind of questions for my learning. So I would say, look, I'm trying, I'm speaking and I'm working on this thing. You know, could you give me some feedback? I am one to ask for feedback. Tell yeah. me what I missed. Tell me what I got wrong. Tell me what I could do better. Or, and I think I've realized as well in my line of work, in the context of ministry and leaders, I think I sometimes expected people to be able to read my mind and to read mm-hmm. my intentions and to somehow look at me and think. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by almost that? Almost I expected people to look at me and think, oh, the force is strong on that one. Let me just see all the answers. I'm like, say what you yes. want. Do you know what I mean? Say what you need. Say what you're curious mm. about. Do you think we expect people to just to know the anointing Sometimes. and to see it and to say, how do I feed into this? That is fascinating. Sometimes we do. And I get it because... I think for me as a woman and a, as a black woman, in, as a minority in those spaces, and when I say minority, only one, <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I, I sometimes felt like, Lord, this feels hard enough. I wish they would see so that I would know it was right. Do you know what I mean? I was afraid. I think some of that, some of it wasn't just, it was naive, but it was fear. It was fear fueled because maybe if they said it was right, then it made it okay for a woman to do this stuff. Maybe if right. they saw me, and called me, then I didn't have to wrestle with God about whether this was a calling or whether it was my ego or ambitions. And it felt safer if they would just pick me. The dilemma is if you are learning how to own your voice, that means owning and saying yes to who you are. That means owning and saying yes to how God has called you (laughs) and wired you and articulating stuff. So what I was wanting was, Lord, if I silence myself, will you help them know? And he's like, well, you could just say you're interested in these things. (laughs) Wow! and so I think that was the wrestle I think the other times for me picking up and owning my voice revolved around the rest of the things I longed for in my life I wanted to get married I wanted friends and all do you mean I wanted a certain life so sometimes I put down things about calling because I'm like god you're getting in the way of my social life and I need you Mm. to stop oh but more often and throughout my 20s I think the primary thing was does a woman get to be this 
you know, I would kind of shrink myself to fit in certain ways. And I think there came a point after one particular heartbreak in my 20s where I thought, you know what, you have kept on trying to be pleasant enough or small enough. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer in social skills, so it's not that I feel like you need to walk around being rude at all. But I, right. I think right. I had just spent too long getting in my own way by trying to get out of the way. Mm. And I thought, no matter how hard I try, mm. if I'm not acceptable, why am I trying to do this? Just be who God called me to be. Mm. Not be afraid of, well, if you're speaking up front, it's going to make it hard for anybody to marry you. Or not be afraid of, you know, how are you going to hang out with your peers just after you've spoken and all these kinds of things. It's like I overthought right, it and right. overwrought it <laughs> as, as a result. And I think once I mm. kind of surrendered to say, look, I'm human and I'm learning and I'm growing and all this kind of stuff, but this is part of my calling. This is part of my life. It was easier. It was not everything was, but certain things were easier. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. Did God send different people for different stages as yeah. your ministry grew and perhaps outpaced some of the mentors that you had? Do you still have mentors that you had when you were in college or has God sent new people along the journey? Um, yeah, combo. I think like okay. the woman I spoke about, I'm still in yes. touch with her and we're in a very mm. different life stage. I see her once every few years and, and it's been wonderful. Do you know what I mean? I'm so grateful for her yeah. and um, so grateful for the impact of my life. I think some people are in your life for a season, even if it's a long one. Yeah. And I think, you know, in that time, I live in a different country to the country I grew up in, different environment. And we live in different times. So I think... Where did you grow up? Where did you grow up? And what was the scene like for Christianity, Black woman speaking in London at the time? I'm Nigerian heritage. I was born and raised in London, grew up in London in England. And so kind of entered adulthood in the 90s, Spice Girl era. And um, <laughs> very spicy era. <laughs> and... I mean, the church in England is small, is, mm. is way smaller. There's not a culture. There isn't a Christian subculture in the way that there is gotcha, in the US. Gotcha, By any stretch of the imagination. And so when, even when I was speaking, it's not like I thought it was going to be a career. 
you know what I mean? There wasn't any ambitions around that because it wasn't going to be a job because no one goes to church. Do you know what I mean? So it really did feel like a calling. It felt like a calling into the wilderness in many ways. I love which, that. Which, to be honest, Heather, I'm very grateful for. Yeah. I'm very, very grateful for that because I think it prevented certain complications. Mm. Going to church on a Sunday is not the culturally acceptable thing to do when you could be having brunch instead. That was the environment I grew up in. Uh I think now living in the US, and I've lived here for about 18 years, you know, there is a Christian subculture. There is an industry. There is a whole, whole thing, a world. Add social media, add the advent of podcasting, all of these things. There are just different, there are different vehicles now. They're faster, slicker cars than the I was riding. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, So it's a very different world. And as such, I think God has provided different people. I think I've also realized I mean, I'm still someone who asks questions. So I'm always, wherever I'm going, I am learning from people who are younger than me. And I learn a lot from my peers. I think now there seems to be a lot more brainstorming with your peers where like, okay, what, how's it looking for you? How's it looking for you? What's working for you? How do you negotiate pay here? How do you negotiate pay there? And a lot more peer mentoring. I think I'm, that's what I'm experiencing more. Mm, I love that. Okay. This is super helpful, I think too, because sometimes For a lot of, I think, especially for women, there might not Mm -hmm. be somebody there or at least that you have access to who can tell you, here's how I did it. But are there people alongside you that you can do peer mentoring with? I love that concept. I think it's huge. I think for all the reasons you highlight, I mean, we live in a context and a culture whereby increasing opportunity, which means that it's kind of thin in certain eras because there weren't as many women who had that. we can't all go to the one, two, three people we found. We can't. Right. I mean, God bless these women. But, I we, know. <laughs> but they can't do everybody. Put you on the podcast. That's no. what we can do and let you mentor all the listeners. There you go. And also there is a different, you present differently. Here's the thing. You present differently to a, a mentoring experience where there's a generational gap to one which is across. And, and if uh-huh. you can have both, well and good. But if you can't and the peer ones are there, have it. Do not feel like it's not going to work necessarily. Mm. It, it it forges a different thing in your character because when you are dealing with your peers, then you are choosing to collaborate rather than see them as a threat. You're choosing to celebrate yes. gifts and work on recommendations on other people's behalf. You're learning things. And also you're making sure that secrecy doesn't keep corrupt things in corners because everything's in the light. And I think that's important. So, yeah. and no one wants to talk about money. No one wants to talk about money because we're believers and all that kind of stuff. But that's how people get messed up with. That's how people get exploited because none of us have been talking about money. And then, and it is vulnerable. It is vulnerable to articulate those things. And it's not that I talk about it with anybody, but I will talk about it with the people I'm in relationship with because we need to know. We need to know. We need to gauge Mm -hmm. on things. And so there is a richness. I want to encourage people not to underestimate um, the power of peer mentoring if they're in the same profession as you or not, if they're in the same life stage as you or not, rather than trying to look for a mirror image of yourself in another age group or a mirror image of your gifts in another age Mm. group, as though God can't work through all kinds of people. What challenge would you give to other leaders on why they should themselves not just be mentored, but take the time to go back to where they came from? and help those who are still there? I mean, I think that's a brilliant question because honestly, Mm -hmm. if we're not doing it, what are we doing? 
I mean, honestly, real talk. And, and and again, I understand it because I often say that for leadership and for women in leadership, sometimes it's like a game of musical chairs. You know, the problem with game of musical chairs is there's only a limited amount of chairs and then you dance around it mm. and the fastest, best people win. And there's never enough chairs for the amount of talented, gifted people there right, are. Right, right, right. There aren't enough chairs. But the problem is not the other people. The problem is the room and who set the room mm. up, not you. But what it can do sometimes is make us think, oh, if I celebrate that person and mentor them, then people are going to want to give them opportunity instead of me. But I've still got mm-hmm. bills to pay. So, sorry, no. I haven't got time. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll call it being busy and all that kind of stuff. Or we mentor people enough to so that they are behind us, not that they can be alongside us or overtake <laughs> us. Do you know yes. what I'm saying? When yes. actually, when we look at the life of Christ and we look at how he invested in people, it was him who's like, you're going to do greater things than me. And so uh-huh. if we are following, uh-huh. if we consider him the best leader that ever lived, and if we think mm-hmm. that he shows us not just what to lead, but the pattern for leadership, the how, then I, I, in fact, I was just reading it this morning, actually, quite luckily, I was, I'm going to, I'll blame God for that. I was reading in Luke six this morning about how Jesus went up all night and prayed all night about who to invest yes. in, comes down and chooses 12. And I'm like, I don't know that all of us are going to say we've got time to do 12 in every stage of our life. But the question isn't if we're mentoring, it's who. And I would say to us as leaders, let's mentor, Uh, but let's also be sponsors as well. Who are we opening doors for? Who are we willing to sacrifice mm, opportunities for so that someone else can walk through that opportunity? Are you recommending people? I'll speak to my context. If you can't do an event, do you have a list of names of people who you'd recommend in your place? If you can't do a podcast, are you going to recommend somebody? Do you know anybody? Mm-hmm. Does any, and you're like, oh, well, I don't know. Well, that's because they don't have enough proximity to you for you to be able to invest in them because we need to make sure we change the culture mm. on this. We don't want to make sure that we have another generation of leaders, particularly women, who are like, I've got a gift. I've got a bike in my room and I don't know how to ride this thing. So now it's just here gathering dust. Yep rather than riding to the destinations that they that it should be because no one showed me how to ride the thing. And that translates to sermons not preached, songs not written, ministries not birthed, churches not planted, businesses not started. That's the, the long-term game. So my encouragement to all of us is who are we investing in? Who are we investing in? What would you say about social media? Because I, I heard you mention... Mm-hmm. If there's a gap where they can't get to us, which social media does inherently create gaps. And I think sometimes unintentionally where perhaps for me, for example, I know my Twitter DMs are turned off if I'm not following you just because I've had so many yeah. people troll me and say horrible things. My Instagram yeah. ones are on, but that creates a gap, mm-hmm. right? So think about social media. Is it an actual effective tool for mentorship? Or are we all just doing wishful thinking? I go back and forth on this, to be I honest. I do too. I go back and forth. I think it has limited effect, but not no effect. Mm. I think it has limited effect. The people can't see my life. Do you know what I mean? They see what I present. Yes. Whereas the people I mentor in everyday life, they see an untidy house. People mm. who are at my shoulder, as it were, or in my life see more. And then therefore they get more of the how of life, not just the how of social media and doing these things. So I can't help but feel that there's something more effective by where there's more access. I think that access word you described was really important. Yes. It's what do people have access to? And so, and what are the benefits of that access? And what are the limits of that access? The more you're in my life, in my actual life, the more you'll see and learn. 
because then there's their interaction with my husband, my kids. I'm not going to be talking about my husband and kids on social media. Why? Because they're my husband and kids. They, they ain't everybody else's. But do, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But if you're in my life, you're more likely to be part and see something and connect with something that there's a question to answer. I can maybe, if there's a Q&A on social right. media, I can do it, but it's not the same. Because I, I know sometimes I can be a bit of a purist on stuff and say, no, nah, it ain't real, so it's not worth doing. When actually there right. is some benefit, but I find in the chapters yes. of my life, I have to work out. And like, you know, when pandemic first hit, I used to do these afternoon teas on Instagram every day and just sit down on Instagram, have a cup of tea with people, talk foolishness half the time. You know what I mean? Why eggnog is terrible. Other things I firmly believe. Why does that, why that is Christmas phlegm, all that kind of stuff. And then sometimes an article or whatever, and we talk about all kinds of stuff. And I'm staggered by how even a year on people still talk about that and how it impacted them or helped or spoke into a situation. Mm. And so it's, it would be arrogant of me to say it doesn't do anything, but I think we have to look and say, what can it do? What can't yeah. it do? And acknowledge that. Talk to me about your leadership coaching program. What does it look like? How does it work? How can somebody get involved? Yeah, I have a coaching community, which is online. Um, and again, it's one of these things of, okay, I think this does something. It's not the same, but although I've always coached people on Zoom, even before we had to use Zoom. So that's been a, just okay. because there are women leaders everywhere. I was an early adopter because there were women leaders everywhere. Yeah. And it's like, how do you do this? And so mm -hmm. this coaching community, and it's deliberately a community because I think you learn from each other. And so I do a training once a month, and then we have times where people get to reflect, they can join circles, that they can connect with other leaders. And they are women who are in ministry, women in business, number of countries represented, and people use it asynchronously. People dip in, dip out as for what they need. And I think my heart behind it and all the other, all the other initiatives that I host with women leaders are basically is this a useful access point for you to get what you need? On the platform, because it, it's a bit of a community together and because we've had some time together, now it's a point of sponsorship for some and all that kind of stuff or let's brainstorm wh where you're at. And not just me doing that, but other leaders on there saying, hey, I've got an opportunity yes. for you and, and that. And I just wanted to create mm. a space where women leaders could learn and discover and grow and and not do so feeling like they're the only woman leader around who's wrestling with those questions. Joe Saxon is the author of Ready to Rise, and she is the founder of the Easer Collective. My tagline this season for Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. Mm -hmm. In a time when social media has so many negatives yeah. around it, we want to encourage people to be thoughtful. Mm -hmm of their online communication. So my question for you is, how do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space? Yeah, I try not to be reactionary. And mm. so if there's something that really annoys me, I might need to give myself a minute. I do not need to be a keyboard yeah. warrior because I will say things I should regret, but don't. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that's, I, I so I try and be mindful yeah. of that. Um, and then I try to think of what, what does showing up on social media look like in a way that can be positive and serving. You know, that I think those are the things for me that I always want to find ways to serve yeah. and offer, offer something, whether it's something goofy, do you know what I mean? Whether, it doesn't even have to be like, yeah. I think today's post was me after a morning run 
where I have a headlamp on in broad daylight and I haven't washed my face. So clearly, we're not always talking about depth here, friends. <laughs> but I but I think sometimes it's to offer because one of the things that did mark me growing up was, and probably why I asked so many questions, Heather, was because I didn't have access. I grew up in a place where there wasn't access to, and I felt like I was on the outside looking in on people who had opportunities. Mm. I mean, in every area of my life, I was the poor mm. kid or the working class kid or whatever who didn't have the opportunities, who didn't have the access ramps. And yet somewhere knowing there's, well, I think I'm as gifted as anybody else will be. Like surely your socioeconomic background shouldn't determine the opportunities mm-hmm. you have gifting wise. And so I think when I think of social media and the digital space, be it podcasts or whatever, I'm always thinking, can I show up in a way that contributes something? to someone's thinking, to someone's opportunity, to someone's peace, to someone's laughter. And really quickly, what is your podcast for people who want to stay connected? Yeah, it's called Lead Stories. Um, me and a friend of mine, Steph O'Brien, we host it. And it's basically, we call it Lead Stories, Tales on Leadership and Life. And it's just us chatting about leadership, really, and the different facets that um, leaders of all spaces face every day. Well, Joe, thank you so much. I just want to say I know people personally who have gone through or have been a part of your coaching and just think so highly of you as much up close as those of us who are just seeing you online from a distance. So I do want you to know that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So what can we learn from our conversation with Joe Saxton? Number one, look for small and safe environments that allow you to road test your gift. The environment you place yourself in matters. Number two, and this is the one I thought may be really freeing to you that I talked about in the beginning of the show. I wanted you to notice. I think it may have pushed you out of your comfort zone. There may not be a mythical mentor figure that is going to come and scoop you up. Sometimes we say we want a mentor, Joe says, but what we really want is a sponsor. We want someone to say, this is how you do it. And not just that, this is now American Idol and I'm going to sponsor you to do it. (laughs) There is nothing wrong, of course, with wanting that. But if it doesn't come, Joe says, you shouldn't be afraid to seek someone out. Believe in yourself. Number three, Joe says, get what you want. It is a good idea to be specific with people and with your questions. If there is someone you admire, tell them and ask them to coffee or tea or a lunch or ask them to join you on Zoom for 30 minutes. Be specific and say, can I ask you these three questions? Or I just want to ask you this one question. They don't need to know your story, Joe says. They don't need to know your feelings. You're going to want to put all that in there. She says, if you have a question, ask them for an answer to that specific question of how do I do X, Y, and Z better? Don't be afraid to ask and be intentional and be specific. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Next week, we sit down with someone who means a lot to me, just as a human being, as a mentor, as a woman, Beth Moore. You have to get her new memoir, all my knotted up life. 
I'm reading it right now. And I think if you get it right now, it'll prepare you for our conversation with her next week. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus.